Welcome into the Cyclone Alert Cyclone Scoop podcast. Michael Swain here, the Iowa State beat writer for 24-7 Sports. And this is Sean Bach of HawkeyeInsider.com, the Iowa side on 24-7 Sports and the Swarmcast podcast. Awesome. And we've got a, a good preview podcast for everyone coming ahead of the most anticipated Cyhawk game in history, I think it's fair to say. Iowa State and Iowa facing off against each other on Saturday at 3.30 Central Time. College Game Day will be there, which is a, a big storyline. The second time that College Game Day has been in Ames since 2019. And we'll just focus on kind of previewing the matchup today. Obviously, um, there's a lot to talk about between, I think, you know, the Iowa State media availability on Tuesday, some of the stuff you guys have done with the Iowa coaching staff and some Iowa players in addition. Um, but I guess let's start off from just a big picture perspective for you, Sean. What maybe has been some of your big picture takeaways so far, just getting to talk to the Iowa staff and some Iowa players so far? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of it is kind of what you expect with a rivalry. I wouldn't say, you know, a lot of petty, because I feel like that, like media and players, coaches kind of do a good job of keeping that in um, house a little bit. But you can definitely see there seems to be sort of a just added, I guess, you know, intention to this game or, you know, another motivation to this game. Um, from an Iowa perspective as well. You know, you talk about it being the Super Bowl for Iowa State. I know Tyler Goodson mentioned that the other day during media availability, and that kind of opened some eyes a little bit um, from the media and then on social media as well. But, you know, I think when you look at this game, it's a big game for both teams, especially for Iowa. I think based on how you performed in week one against Indiana, you're thinking a little more highly of yourself than you were before. Um, You know, I don't know if that's the exact – you know, mindset of everyone. But I think, you know, from the outside, you look at this team and you're like, okay, yeah, we play in the Big Ten West where, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, you never really know what's going to happen in that side of the conference. And you have the potential to beat a team like Iowa State, which can definitely boost your resume, say, hey, like, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but, you know, there's potential to make a New Year's Six Bowl or like potential to compete for a college football playoff. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, you know, these are the type of games that you want to win to prep yourself for Big Ten play. And, you know, the same goes with Iowa State as well in the Big 12. But, you know, in terms of Iowa, I definitely think there is a uh, added motivation to it. And, you know, with the way that they won last week and, you know, Iowa winning five straight and I guess all the hype that's been around Iowa State this offseason, right, rightfully so. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into this game for sure. I think there's definitely an extra motivation to it for sure. And I think the thing that's interesting, maybe from my perspective, you mentioned the comments, I think from Tyler Goodson, and that's something that definitely stood out yesterday. And it's funny, those kind of came out while we were talking to Brees Hall. Um, I think is like, it was within minutes of us kind of getting to sit down with him. And so it was kind of interesting, maybe Brees Hall's perspective in contrast where, you know, Tyler Goodson has the comments about it being the Super Bowl. And Brees Hall kind of goes on and says, oh, you know, it's kind of just another game. And it was interesting talking to someone like Colin Newell, for example, who's an Ames native, who grew up with this rivalry game, who, you know, as a kid, you know, rooted for Iowa State. And it, this was a big deal for him. And yet during the media availability, he played it down, which I thought was very odd that someone like him that has ties to this game um, maybe wasn't going to play it up. And I think that's maybe from Iowa State's perspective, it doesn't sound like just based on talking to the people yesterday, you know, listening to Matt Campbell talk for about 25 minutes, 
it wasn't something where I think they were trying to hype it up as well or try and rile up, you know, the opposing fan base or make any comments that go viral like that. But I, I thought that was something that was very interesting. Of course, you know, getting some uh, updates for us on Charlie Kohler is a big deal. Orion Vance too. Both of them kind of Charlie Kohler, for example, did not play against Northern Iowa. And I think that was one of the reasons why Iowa State maybe didn't look too great um, was because Kohler wasn't there. And I mean, everyone knows how important he is. I mean, two-time All-American, someone that arguably the top tight end in college football the last few years, I think going into this year, safe to say probably the best tight end in college football. He didn't play the game. And it was an interesting dynamic for Kohler, I guess, pregame because got there a little early and he didn't warm up at all kind of during the initial part when no one was wearing pads. And then he came out later on wearing pads, had a brace on his right ankle, didn't end up playing. Matt Campbell said that he was close to playing. And then on Monday kind of, or Tuesday, I should say, he said he practiced on Monday. So that's a big deal. Then you got middle linebacker, Ryan Vance, uh, hurt his hamstring in the second half of the UNI game. Um, he was rushing the quarterback. It looked like he came up limp at one point, had to go down. Matt Campbell came out whatever. He practiced again on Monday too. So those two players, um, key players for Iowa State, seems like they're on track to play. And I think if you look maybe at the UNI game, and you mentioned how good Iowa looked against Indiana, I think it's interesting maybe the contrast because you look at maybe the betting spread for this game as well. You know, all summer, it looked like it was going to be somewhere around seven, you know, maybe eight, I think is what one of the sports books had. And then all of a sudden, the two teams look very different. And then it kind of opens it, I believe, three and a half at Caesars is what I wrote earlier this week. So it's interesting how much that game has impacted it. And I'm curious, maybe from your perspective, Sean, how much did that Indiana game change your opinion of Iowa? And what were some maybe just your big takeaways? Then we can kind of switch and go to you and I after. Yeah, and before I talk about the Indiana game a little bit, you mentioned injuries, Iowa. The only one that's expected as of now is Kyler Schott, who was a starting right guard for Iowa, missed the first game against Indiana. There was hope that he'd be back for the season or for the second game of the year against Iowa State, but that's likely not going to happen. So that's all the injury talk. And um, yeah, with, I mean, that Indiana game, you know, the past couple of years, and I think really over the last decade or so I think the big knock with Iowa has been getting off to a slow start and you know offensively things you don't really seem to click and defense always seems to be pretty strong but you know I mean looking back at last year I mean I know it was a weird year with COVID and no real offseason but Iowa just flat out struggled right out of the gates against Purdue and Northwestern and against Indiana Hoosiers had a lot of hype coming into this game obviously the darling of the Big Ten last year didn't necessarily make it to the Big Ten championship with all the Ohio State stuff that happened. Um, and, you know, I do think Ohio State ended up or deserved to be in the Big Ten championship rather than Indiana, but that's a topic for another day. Um, <laughs> but with that that Indiana team, that they were an explosive bunch. They had a lot of guys coming back on offense. Michael Penix Jr., one of the top quarterbacks in the Big Ten, if not the best quarterback in the Big Ten, with Justin Fields off to the NFL. Um, they had a couple receivers returning their offensive line who wasn't that good on Saturday, returning a number of guys. The defense had a couple of SEC transfers that they added. They have an All-American linebacker, Mike McFadden. Um, they have a number of big All-Big Ten guys, and including an All-American in the secondary in Taiwan Mullen. So this Indiana team, all week, the, really the talk amongst Iowa people was Indiana's aggressive defense and the explosive passing attack that they had. And you know with Iowa – this year coming into it with the defense was obviously going to be a strength, but outside of the secondary, I mean, linebackers are pretty, pretty promising with Seth Benson and Jack Campbell returning. 
um, plus Dane Belton, who plays the cash spot in the four two five. Um, but the secondary was really going to be the strength of the team. And we saw that pretty early on in the game. Um, you know, Tyler Goodson had that touchdown run first in the first drive of the game, uh, fourth play from scrimmage, took it to the house, really good job by the offensive line. But after that, it was kind of a defensive show for Iowa. They really put on a, a clinic defensively. I mean, you could say all you want about Riley Moss's first interception, how it bounced off the Indiana receiver, but you know, the key for Iowa was staying on top of those receivers, not letting those Indiana receivers get downfield, get behind the safeties, get behind the secondary. And they did that for a lot of the game. And Riley places in the right right Riley Moss is in the right place at the right time. And, you know, it just worked out being that way. And, you know, the rest of the game, I thought Iowa did a really good job defensively, not just in the secondary, but I thought the defensive line did a good job of getting pressure on Indiana. I know the Hoosiers really didn't have their best outing when it came to offensive line play, but you know the defensive line having returning, having to replace three of the four starters from last year, all three guys that are playing in the NFL this year made fifty-three man rosters, um, and to be able to you know just be able to refill and just refuel that that group was really impressive. Now, like I said before, I didn't think Indiana's offensive line was all that great on Saturday, but. I think with the way that Indiana or Iowa's defensive line played, you know, that's optimism going forward considering how many question marks. And it's not just from the out from the outside. I mean, the inside Iowa linebackers coach Seth Wallace said today, he's also the co-defensive coordinator with uh, Phil Parker who coaches the secondaries as well, the secondary as well. Uh, Seth Wallace said he was surprised, but he wasn't surprised because, you know, it's typical Iowa. Um, they find guys you know, guy, they have to replace guys and guys will just come right in. But he mentioned the coaching staff and how much credit they deserve for the defensive line play. And, you know, with Iowa and especially this Iowa State team, like Iowa just is going to need to get pressure on Brock Purdy and the rest of those guys. I mean, we'll talk about that later. But um, offensively, Spencer Peters, I thought, played within himself. Tyler Goodson obviously had that big run. Um, the offensive line could have been a little better. You'd like to see Petrus maybe get it out to his receivers a little bit more. Um, but I think, you know, just not turning over the ball, playing within mm -hmm. himself, he looked more comfortable out on the field, seemed to be just setting his feet a little better than he was last year. Um, had his guy, Sam Laporta, at tight end, kind of his safety valve, um, who had a really good game. I thought the offense was, was productive. You know, you wish it could be a little more efficient getting the ball downfield consistently. But I think when you're up 28-3 to three, um, in the first game of the season at – towards the half, it's like, how much do you really want to show? Because, you know, Iowa State, you know, other opponents are going to want to, you know, see what you can do or, you know, maybe take away anything they can from one game. And with Iowa, I thought they tried to go a little more vanilla in the second half. And I don't blame them because, like I said before, you don't want other teams to be able to pick up on that stuff. And, you know, personally, I thought they did a really good job just setting the tone defensively. Um, you know, made it a point to get to a fast start, and that's what they did, and they buried Indiana pretty early, and I think really that's all you could ask for. And, yeah, I mean, I think this. I think after that first game, you feel a little bit better about Iowa's chances considering Indiana and um, how much hype and how much talent they had returning, um, and you definitely feel better going into this matchup for sure. Definitely, and it's so funny because you contrast that to Iowa State, you know, against Northern Iowa, and 
of course, Northern Iowa FCS team. But I think with the game like this, it's harder to read into maybe the FCS aspect of things just because it's an in-state rivalry game. And it's funny that Tyler Goodson had the line about the Super Bowl for Iowa State and Iowa. And it's like, that's the Super Bowl for Northern Iowa, right? This is their big chance to play a, a Power 5 team. So uh, I think from Iowa State's perspective, the, the biggest takeaway I think I maybe had was Matt Campbell's demeanor post-game. And over the course of kind of the last few days has been not one of panic. And we've seen when Matt Campbell has not been pleased with his team. Um, I feel like it's kind of easy to pick up on that sometimes. You look last year, of course, Louisiana game didn't go Iowa State's way. Campbell is not happy about that post game. You know, after they beat Kansas, they demolished Kansas by two scores and Campbell wasn't happy. And yet after this game, like Campbell seemed not, you know, terribly angry, but like, like pleased with the way that the game played out. And it's interesting you look at Iowa State's approach in the game, you think about, having an All-American running back in Brees Hall, arguably the best running back in college football going into the year. He touched the ball twice in the first quarter, or rushed the ball twice, I should say, in the first quarter. Iowa State came out with kind of a more passive-focused approach to start the game. Joe Skates, of course, has a, a questionable fumble that, that stalls one drive. Then they go three and out on the next drive. And Iowa State struggled in, offensively in the first quarter. And then all of a sudden, I think you maybe saw a little bit of a, a game plan switch from Iowa State once the game kind of, they figured out, okay, this isn't going to be one of those where we're able to kind of roll out to a, a, a 35, 38, 42 type of a run here. So they slowed the game down, had some longer drives. They had a, a 14 play drive. I want to say two 10 plus play drives in addition to that. And I think what you saw Iowa State do is once kind of they realized that, all right, this is not going to be one of those games where you can get out to an early lead and kind of coast for the rest of the game. I think you saw them maybe transition into more of just a take the air out of the ball. Let's just run the ball, use our offensive line and our defense and really just make sure we don't lose this game, which I thought was very interesting because, of course, Iowa State's not going to pull out all the tricks and, you know, scheme everything open in game one when you have Iowa coming next week. But I thought it was just an interesting approach. And, of course, with Brees Hall being a little dinged up going into the game, I thought his workload was interesting because if he was dinged up going into the game, that would maybe explain why Iowa State went for a more pass-happy approach in that first quarter. And then when things maybe didn't go the right way, they go back to Brees Hall more. But I was surprised we didn't see more of Jairo Brock. And, of course, Iowa fans know Jairo Brock, or at least ones that paid attention to recruiting, know who Jairo Brock is. Um, but he's someone that I think is poised for a bigger year. And Matt Campbell even said that he was pretty – disappointed himself as a coach that he didn't get Jairo Brock more touches. And I think if you're Iowa State now, you're looking at the overall performance. The defense played really, really well outside of one drive where Mike Rose missed two tackles. Um, that ended up being a touchdown drive for you and I. The defense was stout. Will McDonald wasn't able to do a ton, but I thought he was good enough. And Iwazurike had a really good game. Jake Hummel had a really good game. Aishim Young had a really good game. So I think the defense enters this game humming. It's just a question of how is that offensive line looking and how is Brees Hall looking going into this game? Because Iowa State wants to establish the run. They're like Iowa in that way, right? They want to run the ball. They want to run down your throat and then build off of that. So you're going to see Iowa State go play action. I think PFF had a really good stat last year. Um, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I think Brees Hall was one of the, or sorry, Brock Purdy was one of the best quarterbacks in college football last year playing off of play action. So I think you'll see Iowa State really try and establish the run early this weekend and then try and build off that. But I think the question really is going to be, you know, who wins in the trenches in this game? Because, and it's such a cliche to say that, but it really is the case because you look at Iowa State's offensive line, 
That's a group that just played their first game as a collective together. Yes, Iowa State has seven players that started a game last season, but Trevor Downing didn't play all of last year. Derek Schweiger only played a half last season at right tackle. He played most of his season at left guard. So I think you're looking at this Iowa State offensive line really having to gel rather quickly this week ahead of this Iowa game because, like you mentioned, Iowa's defensive line is good. You know, maybe not as good as some of the defensive lines they've had in years past, but it's a good group and a group that Iowa State's going to really need to focus on. And so I think that if you're talking about, you know, what what you're going to be looking for maybe in the first quarter of the game on Saturday, it's how is Iowa State's offensive line blocking? And then I think if you're looking at Iowa State's defense, you know, are they able to stop the run against Iowa? Because if you're able to stop the run against Iowa, force Spencer Peters to throw the ball a little bit more, I think you're looking at a good game plan for Iowa State. But of course, that's easier said than done. I'm curious, maybe from your perspective then, Sean, like what? Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. First quarter Saturday's game, what are some of the things you'll be kind of watching for there? Yeah, I think you brought up a good point too about Iowa and, you know, if they can limit the run, then, you know, because Iowa, like, they want to establish the run right away. And, you know, Iowa State has a much – has a bigger benefit of having a guy like Brock Purdy who can get outside the pocket and can really do a good job of extending plays. And that was kind of the concern that, you know, was brought up during media availability on Tuesday. And it was mentioned to Seth Wallace earlier today um, was just containing Brock Purdy. And Iowa State's a tough matchup in that regard because you have a guy like Brees Hall who – you want to keep inside. You don't want him to get inside the numbers. You want him to stay behind the line of scrimmage and not let him get to the outside. Because if that happens, he has he has potential to break off a big run. And Iowa needs to stay this point on defense and you know stay in their gaps and you know just play within themselves and just play smart on defense because Iowa State can really kill you in that regard. I mean, we've seen in the past with Brock Purdy. Now I know sometimes you know he gets a knock for some of his turnovers, but He's a guy that can extend plays, and that can cause so many issues for a team, um, no matter how talented the defense is. But I think when you talk about Iowa's offense, I think, you know, obviously I mentioned the run game. The pass game, I I thought it showed growth against Indiana. I still think there were some things that, you know, you saw from last year that gave you concerns. But it definitely seemed like it just made a little bit of progress enough to impact the team in a positive way more than it did last year. I don't know exactly what it was. I think it was Petrus being more calm, more composed in the pocket, just just maybe being smarter. But there were some plays where you were like, all right, like he needs to complete that pass. I mean, there were a number of drops as well, but there were a couple of plays where you're like, all right, like he needs to he needs to get it there, like he needs to see his guy downfield. I think I mentioned in the uh, know the foe piece that I sent to you that Petrus's downfield vision was not overly impressive. Um, mm. Like, especially to guys like Tyrone Tracy, who was visibly frustrated a number of times that he didn't get the ball in certain spots. And Tracy's your number one receiver. That's the guy who you want to get the ball to. Now, obviously it's a lot easier for me to say from here and a lot easier for other people to say from 
um, the press box for the stands. But, you know, that's the type of stuff that – those are the type of throws that second-year second year starting quarterbacks need to make. And, you know, maybe it's Iowa wanting to stay within themselves in the second half, maybe not trying to show too much. But I think Iowa, if against this Iowa State team especially, I think you want to be able to get those guys downfield because, yeah, you want to establish a run, but, you know, your team is so much more effective when you can put the ball in the air at an efficient rate and not turn the ball over. And especially when you have a guy like Tyler Goodson as well, that just totally adds to your offensive element and how you can run plays. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, offensively, they just need to, they just need to click better than they did. I thought, you know, there was, there was promise, especially in that first drive. I thought the offensive line did a really good job blocking for Goodson on the outside. Um, I think Indiana kind of gave him a gift a little bit because the, uh, the defensive back tried to go in between the tackles at one point, but the Iowa tight ends came up and, you know, he didn't get to the outside, but Goodson was able to get out there and run free for a touchdown. Um, But there's just some things on offense that need to click because I think this Iowa state team, yes, Purdy has turned over the ball before, but I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to force as many turnovers as you did against Indiana. Um, I don't know exactly why, but I just think that, that's kind of the route this game is going to go. I think Iowa State is a more disciplined team in that regard. Yeah. Well, it's so a few things I thought that were interesting there. Um, starting with the turnover part of it, Iowa State hasn't forced a turnover in this game since 2014. Mm-hmm. Like that's like when that's I insane. read that in the game notes, like I've obviously not been on the beat for that long. So when I read that mm-hmm. in the game notes, like I thought that was insane. That's crazy. And so what you mentioned there about Petrus and downfield vision, that's dangerous against John Haycock. Yeah. Like, that is dangerous because what Iowa State's able to do with its scheme in terms of the veteran guys it has back there, you think about Anthony Johnson and all Big 12 corner, Datron Young is someone that can play up to that standard, I believe. You know, you look at what he's done when he's healthy, he's looked pretty good. And then you have someone like Aishin Young, Greg Eisworth on the back end. Like, there's a lot of experience there. And there's a good stat out there, too, that Iowa State has allowed 16 points over the last six second halves, I want to say. Um, they've been incredible in the second halves of games with John Haycock over the last kind of, you know, six, seven games. And I think that's going to be really fascinating this weekend is to see what Iowa State does to counter because what you kind of what Matt Campbell's alluded to is kind of what you see on film going into the week isn't necessarily what you're going to see on Saturday. And for the ability of kind of this coaching staff on defense that has so much continuity, you think about, you know, the linebackers coach Tyson Veit, defensive line coach Eli Rashid have been with Haycock since they got to Iowa State. Matt Capone has been here for a few years now. You know, Dion Broomfield is the only new staff member. And even then, you know, he's someone that has NFL experience as terms of being a player. So I think you're looking at a coaching staff for Iowa State that that'd be a really fascinating matchup, I think, in the second half of this game is what is Iowa State going to do to pivot to try and negate Petrus? And are they going to be able to get that first turnover in five years? That's something I'll write about probably Thursday or Friday of this week is how are they going to do that? Cause I thought that some of the players had some interesting quotes about it. Um, and also on the turnover front, maybe from the offensive perspective too, with Brock Purdy, I think there's been a change with him. Um, you look really over the last half of last season, you know, there was a stretch there over the final 10 quarters of the regular season where he averaged, I believe it was like just under 10 yards in attempt for 75% completion percentage and 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. Like that was the best Brock Purdy we've seen. And then goes in the big 12 title game and you see what happens with Brock Purdy. He tries and makes plays that maybe aren't there. It turns into a turnover. 
But I thought you saw against you and I where when the game did get close, Brock Purdy was not putting the ball in jeopardy. Like he, it was very clear that he made that a point not to do that because I think there were times where the pocket broke down because the offensive line, there was a, you know, something happened or whatever. They got pressure and Brock didn't look to force throws down the field like we've seen in years past. And sometimes those pay off with big 40 yard touchdowns, 50 yard throws, but sometimes it turns into an interception. And I think that's a maturity you've seen from Brock Purdy so far. Uh, as he's gotten older, I think is that he's more mature in his decision-making and he's not trying to force things and he's not trying to make things happen that aren't there. So I think the turnover battle turnovers are in general, I feel like are just kind of fluky, like tip balls, missed assignments, they happen, but I think it's going to come down to kind of who's the most technically sound and just kind of based on what I've seen from Iowa state, it looks like they're a team that offensively is technically sound. Um, It's just going to come down to can that defense kind of make the big play and get that first turnover in a few years. Yeah. I remember, I remember reading that stat earlier today and I was thinking to myself like, Holy cow. Like I've been covering Iowa since 2018. Um, So my first football season was yeah. Fall of 2018, my sophomore year. And um, I mean, even, even I, every Iowa state Seahawks game, it's just like, it's come down to a couple of plays like, I think it was, I can't remember exactly 2018, but I just know that Iowa did a fantastic job, you know, stopping David Montgomery. That was the focus coming in. Even guys like Hakeem Butler, um, who I believe was still with the team at mm-hmm. the time, they were focused on limiting him. Iowa did a really good job of limiting those guys. And Iowa didn't really score many points, but Iowa State only scored three. Granted, Iowa's defense had a lot of guys coming back from that last year. Mm. And 2019... You know, Iowa State's two touchdowns were very, like you said, missed assignments. And I believe one of them was a trick play, too, that they were able to get the Iowa secondary uh, sleeping a bit. And that was Jack Kerner's second start at safety. Um, He was a walk-on, Dowling Catholic kid. Um, Wasn't really expected. I think he was listed as the backup during the season opener. Kayvon Merriweather, who was the other safety next to him, um, now went down with an injury. Kerner took that spot, um, stepped up, and, um, you know, hasn't lost the job since. But that was his second start, and there were some growing pains for sure during that game that, you know, you don't see now. But Seth Wallace mentioned today, too, like I said, that there were two plays in that Iowa State game where Iowa State was able to score, and they were kind of fluke plays, as they'd say. But, you know, that stuff happens in a football game. Like, that's the stuff that you have to come to expect. You never know what's going to happen. And especially in a game like this where, I mean, I know we'll get into our predictions later, but I don't see it being a high-scoring game at all. So scoring, I think, is going to come at a premium. And this is the type of game, too, where, you know, one or two mistakes could kill you in the end. I know that's cliche, but I really think this is one of those games where that's going to come to fruition. Yeah, it's so different than, I mean, you can look at, for example, like, you know, there were games last year for Iowa State. Um, where, I mean, even the Big 12 title game to some degree, where Iowa State made so many mistakes in that game, and yet they had a chance at the end of the game with the final drive to go on and win it. And I think you're right. And in terms of the predictions, I'll use that as a segue here. I I do think that it will be a low-scoring game, and there's a reason why I brought up uh, Iowa State's kicker, Andrew Mevis, in our 10 players to know, because he's someone that, you know, Iowa fans know who Connor Solly is, right? He's the kicker that's going to take a lot of those short yardage field goals. But for Iowa State, it seems like Mevis will be the guy that takes kind of those 40-yard, 40, 40-plus 40 field goals. And in a game like this, a guy like that could be vital because 
field position will be at a premium. And I do think this will be a field position battle, kind of just like we've seen in years past, where ball control, field position, that's how you win the game. And I I also think that this could come down to who's more willing to go for it on fourth downs. Because you saw Iowa was willing to go for it on fourth down against Indiana. Iowa State was not against you and I. There were a few opportunities where they could have, and they chose not to. And I think that could be one of the big things in this game is who, which out of the two head coaches is more willing to take some of those quote-unquote risks, even if maybe some of the analytics back up the decision. So I think in terms of my overall prediction, I've not written our uh, know the foe piece for you yet, Sean, but I do think it's going to come down to a field goal. I, I think probably around that 24, 21, maybe even, I'd be maybe even a little surprised, like a 20 to 17 type of game too. I, I do think Iowa State ends up winning, but I think if you're also looking to do some of the DraftKings stuff that is legal here in Iowa, I probably would just take the points, honestly. Like, I would take the points with whoever in, in this game any year because it's going to be so low scoring. Vegas tends to be really close. So I take the points. I do think Iowa State ends up winning this, though, in a really close affair. Yeah, I, I'm i going to be honest. And Iowa fans have given me a hard time throughout the offseason about this prediction because I've always said that I think Iowa State is going to be mm. a really good football team. And I think, you know, you're blinded if you don't think they would be. Um, I know, like, the whole saying, like, you got to be the man. To, you got to beat the man to be the man. And I think mm-hmm. that applies for this one. You know, I think going into last week, I would have said that Iowa would lose this game by a touchdown. But I think based on what they showed the other day against Indiana, I think that momentum is going to carry over a little bit, at least on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's what's going to help carry them to, like you said, like a three-point three point game or a three-point win. But, you know, I think when you predict three-point wins – you know, you kind of have to. Like, if you want to pick a winner, it's got to be at least three points. Like, no one's going to predict a one- or two-point game. It's like, yeah, yeah, who can expect a safety or something like that or a missed PAT? It's always a three-point game, but I always see those as being, like, toss-ups. Like, I think, honestly, like, this game this game is a toss-up. Like, I'm just going off of what I saw last week against against or, uh, Indiana in Iowa's case. I think this game is, is really a toss-up. I really don't give an edge to either team I think you know I think both teams are unique in their own ways that make them a difficult matchup for the opposing team like I think we didn't talk about too much but I think you know Iowa State throwing out the multiple tight end sets is not something you always see in the Big Ten I mean you see here from there obviously Iowa does it I think Wisconsin maybe does it a couple times and Illinois will probably do it with Brett Belima. but outside of that you only really see one tight end on the field and you know, the possibility of Iowa State throwing out two or three tight ends is really going to be fascinating to see how Iowa goes about that. And I think that's maybe one spot where Iowa State has an edge. While I think Iowa, I think the secondary for Iowa is going to be the key for them. I think, you know, Brock Purdy, Iowa hasn't seen Brock Purdy in two years. And, you know, there's a lot of growth that has gone into for his sure. game since then. So, I think that's going to be a different element too, but I think Iowa's secondary has the experience to, um, you know, be able to propel or be able to win that battle. And I think, yeah, I think this game comes down to a field goal too, but I think Iowa, I think I give Iowa a slight advantage, but that's only because, you know, based on last week's performance. If last week's performance was, say, you know, one touchdown game or a 10-point game, I think I would give an edge to Iowa State, but just the way that Iowa was able to dominate last last week, I I think I got to continue with them to ride the momentum. 
Definitely. And that's going to be the interesting part because I think regardless of what happens here, you can read into kind of what happened in week one. Either it's Iowa continues and builds that momentum into week two into the Seahawks game, or it's Iowa State really rebounds after a, a rough week one performance. And Matt Campbell is able to get everyone's attention all week and get them working hard. Um, not that, that actually changes anything, but that'll do it for the podcast today. Thank you as always for listening to the Cyclone Scoop and the Swarmcast um, you can find them both on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play as well. If you like what you heard, leave a review. You can follow me on Twitter at mswain247. And Sean, where can they find you on Twitter? I'm at sbach247, so not much of a difference there. I love it. Great minds think alike. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Sean. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. It says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.